Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. So tonight we're looking at Jehovah's Witnesses. What do you all know about Jehovah's Witnesses? Your neighbor's one, all right. They're persistent, yes, and we're going to learn why tonight. They come to your house. Yeah, they come to your house. Any... Yes, they believe in witnessing and they believe in, what do you say, crazy stuff? They have some crazy beliefs. We'll see some of those tonight. Um, let me dive in and just kind of give you an introduction, and you, you should see these points on the screen as we go in. All right, here's A. Jehovah's Witnesses were founded in 1879 by Charles Taze Russell in Pennsylvania. They are now headquartered in Brooklyn, New York. In fact, if you go to Brooklyn, New York, I meant to get this up on the screen, but I forgot. But if you go to Brooklyn, New York, you'll go through, y'all can see this in the back, right? Um, they have a big building. At the top of it, it says Watchtower. And this is in Brooklyn, New York. You say, anybody know why they have Watchtower at the top of it? All right, it's the name of their magazine. Let me go ahead and give you B here, and it'll help explain it. They are also known as the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. So if you hear somebody refer to the Jehovah, or, or you hear somebody say, I'm a member of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, you know, what, what, what does that mean? Jehovah's Witness. All right, one and the same. Um, it's kind of like Mormons. What's the other name for Mormonism? Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All right, so you have a couple different names that can be associated with the same thing. And there's, there, there's reasons why they do that. All right, so C. Russell, we're talking about Charles Taze Russell, the guy who founded the Jehovah's Witness. Russell was a Seventh-day Adventist early in his life. So what does that tell you? To me, it says, if we are not grounded in what we believe, it is possible to leave a faith and change to a different belief system. To, to be in one belief system growing up, and then depart from that and be a part of another belief system. In fact, I've told you throughout this study that um, I was sitting talking with some Mormon missionaries one day in Salt Lake City, Utah, and they told me that some of their, the biggest area of growth for Mormonism, at that time anyway, was um, people moving from one belief system to Mormonism. And I said, well, is there anywhere specifically that they're coming from? And they said, well, actually, we see more Baptists switching to Mormonism than from any other group. And that made me think, we haven't done a good job of teaching why we believe what we believe. And so when I see that he was a Seventh-day Adventist early in his life, it, it reminds me of that truth. We, it, it is possible to abandon one's beliefs. All right? E. No, D. There are over 7 million followers worldwide, over 1 million in the United States. So again, this is not on the scale of Hinduism, not on the scale of Buddhism or Islam, but a million people or 7 million people, that's a few, right? That's a lot, and they're growing. And so this is, I think you're going to see more and more of Jehovah's Witness E. They have around 96,000 congregations who meet in what they call kingdom halls. They meet in what they call kingdom halls. Early on in the 80s and 90s, the kingdom halls would not have any windows. 
ones that were built in the 80s and 90s, the kingdom halls where the Jehovah's, meet, Jehovah's Witnesses would meet, they would not have any windows at all. Now you're starting to see some of their buildings have windows, but, and I don't know why, but I just found that interesting. E, F, I'm having a hard time keeping up where I am. F, the Watchtower Magazine, which is one of their publications, is publicized in more than 140 languages, more than 140 languages, and is the world's most widely circulated religious magazine. All right, is the world's most widely circulated religious magazine. All right, so there's one magazine that is in 140 languages, circulated more than any other Christian magazine, and it belongs to the Jehovah's Witness. This is how their growth is taking place. In fact, I was, oh, probably about five years ago, I was pumping gas at a gas station on a Sunday afternoon. I was on my way home from church, and you know, I, I was driving Dana's vehicle, and it was out of gas. This is usually how it goes. So you know, there's two types of people in the world. There's one group of people that when it gets below half tank, they panic and have to fill up. There's the other group that doesn't even notice it until the light comes on. That's my wife. All right, so new, I can talk about her. She's not in here tonight. So uh, I was driving home, stopped to get gas, and there's a car. I, I was in one of those two, two lanes. I was here. There's a car in front of me. And the guy puts his pump on the automatic and walks over to me. And, of course, I'm a little, okay, what are you doing? I'm not here to socialize. He walks up to me. He says, hey, I want to give you something. I say, okay. And he handed me something, and I opened it up, and it was... Watchtower. He, he'd give me the copy of the Watchtower, and they have another publication called Awake. He'd give me a copy of the Watchtower and a copy of Awake. And he said, I just wanted to give you this. Hope you have a fantastic day. And he turned around and walked off. That was the end of it. Um, they are very faithful in handing out their publications. And one of the ways that they are growing worldwide is by this publication, 140 Languages, it is a tool that they are using to get their message out, all right? G, they believe, this is kind of one of their overarching beliefs, they believe that Christianity fell into general apostasy under Constantine, and then to restore pure worship, God appointed Russell to provide spiritual truth for Jehovah's true worshipers. So according to Charles Taze Russell, under Constantine, Christianity fell into apostasy. What does apostasy mean? They turned away. That, that's generally what the word means. Apostasy or to apostatize means to turn away from the truth. So what they say is, well, under Constantine, Christianity turned away from the truth, and God appointed Russell to help lead and provide truth and highlight truth for the Jehovah's, that's the word they use for God, Jehovah's true worshipers. And that's really how they believe everything got started. Here's something interesting, H. Russell shifted the date for Christ's return from 1914 to 1915 to 1918, and then he stopped. Probably a smart decision. You know, throughout history, there have often been people who have tried to predict the return of Christ. Think of any Bible verses that, mention, that talk about this? No one knows the day or the time, right? So you would think, after predicting it, what was the first one? In 1914, and it didn't happen. And then 1915, and it didn't happen. And 1918, and it didn't happen. What do you think should, would have happened to the religion of Jehovah's Witnesses? It didn't. It grew. Why? 
Well, people who make predictions are very good at explaining, oh, we overlooked this. In fact, in 1914 to 1915, when he shifted the date the first time, he actually said, well, Christ did come in 1914, but it was a spiritual return. We couldn't see it. 1915 is going to be the physical return. And then he kept... And people who many times are part of these other religions, they believe whatever they're told. And so I found that interesting. All right, so what... What are the three things we have said all cults do? Now, we're going back several months now, all right? Say so what? They do. So let me word it a little differently. They add or take away from the Bible. They multiply the requirement for salvation, saying that's kind of what you're talking about. They do that through works. Anybody know the third one? They take away from the fact that Jesus was God. All right, so they add or take away from the Bible, they multiply the requirements for salvation, and they take away from the fact that Jesus was God. And so that's what we're going to do in this is walk through this and say, okay, how, does, how do the Jehovah's Witnesses do this? So here's number two. How do the Jehovah's Witnesses add or take away from the Bible? How do the Jehovah's Witnesses add or take away from the Bible? Here's A. They recognize four writings as authoritative. They recognize four writings as authoritative. I already mentioned a couple of them, but let me give, give the all to you. Here's number one. Their specific translation of the Bible, which is known as the New World Translation. We're going to talk about that in a little more depth here in a few minutes. They have their own translation of the Bible that is called the New World Translation. All right. Two, they have the Watchtower Magazine. Watchtower Magazine is considered authoritative. In fact, that's how they communicate the authoritative teachings or their, how their scriptures are to be understood. So if you have a copy of the New World Translation, which I have a copy of it, if you have a copy of that and you're reading, you're saying, I wonder what this verse means. They have a resource online where you can go and you can find the Watchtower publication that addresses that very issue and you can order it. The, the Watchtower magazine is how they guide you interp- in, in interpreting their scriptures. Does that make sense? So they, they go to kingdom halls and they have teaching, but a lot of people may not have that opportunity or a lot of people may not, so they send out these publications, and so that's how they instruct people in interpreting their scripture. All right, We're, we're going to come back to that in just a moment. So you have that, you have the Watchtower magazine, you have the Awake publication, which is an illustrated... Um, again, it's kind of a booklet, a magazine, and in that, again, they distribute their, their teachings, their beliefs, how you should interpret their scriptures. They, they address, they're very open about addressing seemingly con- what, what may be contradictions and explaining those, but they do those through the Watchtower Magazine and the Wake publication. And then they have Charles Russell's Studies in Scripture, which, again, is Russell's, basically, if you're, if you'd call it a commentary, his commentary, his explaining the scriptures, his belief system, what, what they actually believe. And so those are their four authoritative publications. So again, if you ask the question, how do they add or take away from the Bible? Well, with the Jehovah's Witness, it, it, it's usually addition. It's not just scripture. They have their own translation, which we're going to talk about in a second. Translation is a horrible word for what they have, but I'll explain that in a second. They have their own translation of the Bible, but then even if that was a good translation, they have all these other things, the Watchtower Magazine, the Awake Publication, Charles Taze Russell's Studies in Scripture. They look at all this and say, this is all authoritative. You need all of it. In the, in the Reformation, one of the key tenets of the Reformation was called sola scriptura. What does that mean? I heard it. 
Scripture alone. Scripture alone. That, that is a tenet of our faith. We believe in Scripture alone. That is, that is what we need. And so how do they add or take away from the Bible? They tell you these other things are just as authoritative. Now, B, let's talk about the New World Translation because it is not a trustworthy Bible. The New World Translation is not, not, circle, underline, bold, whatever you want to do, is not a, re, a trustworthy Bible. So let me explain why. Here's number one. It was published in 1961, but is rewritten every few years. All right, published in 1961 and and is rewritten every few years. Number two, it has been heavily criticized for distorting the original text in order to make it match the Jehovah's Witness teaching. So there's two approaches here. Just to give you a brief 30-second overview, the the. The Bible was originally written in Hebrew, Greek, and some Aramaic. All right, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. What the translators did is they took these original languages and they translated them into English. All right, that's how it's supposed to be done. And from that, our belief system derived from those original languages. What they did is they developed their belief system. They started over here, they developed their belief system and then decided to come up with their own translation of the Bible, allowing their belief system to dictate their translation. Do you see how that gets backwards? So what happens is, look back up to the top. When was Jehovah's Witness founded? 18 what? 1879. 1879, Jehovah's Witness is founded. 1879, they begin writing their belief system. 1879, they, they, they formulate their doctrine. When was their Bible translated? Good job. 1961. So instead of allowing the Bible to dictate their beliefs, they allowed their beliefs to dictate how they translated the Bible. They started with themselves instead of starting with Scripture. And by the way, this is always a temptation. Maybe not as drastic, but there is still the temptation. This is a little rabbit trail. There is always the temptation to formulate what you think about an issue and then go to the Bible and seek to prove it. So with the Jehovah's Witness, they did this with translation, but it is possible to do this with interpretation. So let's say there's a moral issue out there, and I'm not going to name any, but a moral issue out there, a social issue that's, that's being talked about a lot in the news, and you sit back and you say, what do I think about this? And you formulate your belief, then you take your belief, you bring it over, you're holding your belief in your hand, that was a good catch, wasn't it? You have your belief in your hand, and what you do is you filter Scripture through your belief. And you accept the Scripture that aligns with your belief, and you ignore the Scripture that doesn't. That's backwards. What we do is we bring Scripture to whatever issue we are dealing with, and we look and say, what does Scripture have to say? See, What happens so often is people say, you know what, I don't believe a loving God would actually send people to hell. I don't believe a loving God, this is one of the beliefs of Jehovah's Witness, I don't believe a loving God would send people to hell. So let me go study the Bible and see how the Bible proves this. And they start laying out scriptures that seemingly prove that. What they should do and what we should do is say, you know what, I want to align with truth on this issue. 
I want to align with what truth is. So let me go to God's Word, blank slate, empty mind, and let me just see what the Bible has to say about this. Two different, completely different approaches. One leads to a position that aligns with truth, and one is a position that distorts truth. It can be very dangerous. All right? Let me read you a couple quotes. This is where I've started including some quotes. Let me read you a couple quotes by scholars that reinforce the idea that the New World Translation is not a trustworthy Bible. It is abundantly clear that a sect which can translate the New Testament like this is intellectually dishonest. I love that quote. It's blunt. All right, let me give you another one. From beginning to end, this volume, talking about the New World Translation, from beginning to end, this volume is a shining example of how the Bible should not be translated. Blunt. The New World Translation, see, the New World Translation came into existence for the sole purpose of supporting the Watchtower Doctrine, and this is by someone who used to be a Jehovah's Witness, someone that God saved out of this wrong religion. He was in it, believed it, God led him out of it by His grace, saved him. He looks back on it and he says, the New World Translation came into existence for the sole purpose of supporting the Watchtower Doctrine. That's a powerful statement. That's someone looking and saying, you know what, this can't be trusted. But yet in the world, there are how many million people? Seven million people who have followed this and accepted this and believed this. Hundreds of verses in the New World Translation, the Jehovah's Witness Bible, have been distorted or changed to fit the Watchtower Doctrine. Can I show you a few of them? All right, four people. Y'all can stay after. They're right. no. Here's what I want you to do. If you have your Bible or get one in the pew in front of you, I want you to turn in the Bible. The Jehovah's Witness Bible, it has the exact same books that your Bible does, exact same order, exact same number of chapters. But I want you to, as I read this from this translate, translate or from this I only like calling it a translation. As I read this from their Bible, I want you to see what changes they have made, subtle changes they have made from what the Bible actually says. All right, Genesis 1 1. You should be able to find that one. Or you may have it memorized. All right, Genesis 1 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth proved to be formless and waste, and there was darkness upon the surface of the watery deep, and God's active force was moving to and fro over the surface of the waters. So what's the biggest difference? God's active force. One of the beliefs of Jehovah's Witness is that the Holy, they deny the Trinity, they say it's polytheism, and instead of having a belief in the Holy Spirit, they have a belief in the force of God. So how do they, they change this? God's active force. So what does the what, what does your Bible say? The Spirit of God. Is is the Spirit of God consistent with the rest of Scripture? Absolutely. They've changed the Spirit of God to his to the force, to God's active force to align with their belief. Go with me now to John chapter 1, verse 1. John 1 1. This one may be another one you have memorized. John 1 1. You there? Nope. Yes, maybe. Give you another second. This is tricky here. There's one small change, but it makes a world of difference. You ready? In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, excuse me, let me start over. In the beginning, the Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. 
Uh-oh. I heard uh-oh. They just added the word a. That's no big deal. How does that change the meaning of the verse? We're going to explain that in a second. All right. All right. In the beginning was the word, excuse me, I keep, I, as I'm reading it, I'm quoting it as the way I memorize it. I've got to stop. In the beginning, the word was, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. Completely changes the meaning of the verse, but if you have a new believer who has never before really studied, maybe he's read the Bible a few times, and somebody comes to his door and says, hey, i got a brand new Bible I want to give you. Here you go, Larry. And they open up John 1.1. Are they going to recognize that small, subtle difference? No, but it completely changes the meaning. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, we're going to look at verse 16 and verse 17. Colossians 1, verse 16 and 17. And I'm actually going to start up in verse 15. You there? All right. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, because by means of him all other things were created in the heavens and upon the earth, the things visible and the things invisible. No matter whether they are thrones or lordships or governments or authorities, all other things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all other things, and by means of him all other things were made to exist. What word was added four times? Other. All right, you notice it? Let me, let's go through and look at it again. Let me read it again. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, because by means of him all other things were created in the heavens and upon the earth, the things visible, the things invisible, no matter whether they are thrones or lordships or governments or authorities. All other things have been created through him and for him. Also, he is before all other things, and by means of him all other things were made to exist. Now, why does that matter? One of their beliefs, and we're going to see this here in just a second, one of their beliefs is that Jesus is a created being. They believe that there is only one God, God the Father Almighty, whom they refer to as Jehovah. Jehovah. All right, hence their name, Jehovah. So they deny any other gods. They say Jesus was created. Now, he's been given authority, but he has been created. And we're going to see how he was created here in just a moment. All right? So if you see the, the New World Translation, New World Translation. Here, now, here's what's sneaky about this. Doesn't that, sound, doesn't that sound like one of the translations that might be out there? It's sneaky. But it is faulty. This is not, I would go as far as to say, in the areas where they have changed this, it is not God's Word. Is that a fair way of saying it? Verses where they've not changed, okay, but where they have changed it, it can't be trusted. Um, so if you want to look at it afterwards, it'll be laying up here. All right, let's keep going. Number three, how did the Jehovah's Witnesses multiply the requirements of salvation? Well, in February, on February 15th, 1983 edition of the Watchtower, there are four requirements for salvation. And I looked up the article several years ago, and it says four requirements of salvation. All right, here they are. Number one, take accurate knowledge of God. Let me ask you a question. Is knowledge enough? No. 
That's what they say, take accurate knowledge of God. Number two, obey God's laws. Obey God's laws. Now, we believe in obedience to God. What's the difference between our obedience to God and what they say obedience to God is? All right, they may, in, in their translation, they may have changed them. We obey God out of the overflow or as a result of our faith. They obey God in order to earn that relationship. Yeah, Jason. You would have to go and read Russell's, Charles Stage Russell's studies and scriptures. They have what they would say, and we're, we're going to see some of them here in a minute. They have some of the things that they say, okay, here's what you have to do. You do these things. I mean, they're very moral, but they have teachings such as, um, and we'll get to this in a minute, but they have teachings that say you're not to, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, you don't salute a flag. And you, you reject blood transfusions. And you don't celebrate holidays or birthdays. And you don't put up Christmas trees. And they have, they have a lot of these different beliefs. And I can explain the reasoning behind some of them. But they have, they flesh that out in their extra-biblical writings. Correct, because remember, it's not just their Bible that's authoritative. All four of those publications, they say, are authoritative. So if Russell and his writings were in the Watchtower magazine, it says, you know, if you're a good Jehovah's Witness, you're going to do this, that's authoritative. You've got to do that. So that's where that would come from. All right, so take accurate knowledge of God, obey God's laws. Number three, be associated with God's visible earthly organization. What does that mean? Be a member of the Jehovah's Witness church. That'll grow your congregation. You know what? If you don't go to my church, you're not going to heaven. Now, they have a different view of heaven. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Then four, be a loyal advocate of his kingdom to others through material distribution. So you want to know, Abbott said earlier, they come to your house. You don't want to know why they come to your house and why they'll come up to you at a gas station and hand you their publications? They're being faithful. This is their requirement for salvation. Now, it's a lot like Mormonism. What do, Mormons, what do all Mormons have to do? Mission. They're two-year mission trips, right? This is all part of earning God's favor. It's all part of earning that relationship with God. So you say, how do they multiply the requirements for salvation? We would say, you know what? You do not have to earn your salvation. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. That key phrase, it is not of works. They multiply the requirements for our salvation by saying, you know what, faith is not enough. Your faith in Jesus Christ is not enough. You have to do these four things, to which I think if we're looking at our faith and comparing it, Christianity says it's not about what you have done, it is about what Christ has done. They would say, you know what, we're thankful for all these other things that we see in Scripture, but you have to do all these other things as well. And again, the question that we keep coming back to, whether it's Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, whatever, whatever religion it is, is the question of how do you know when you've done enough? So if I pass out one publication a year, is that enough? Or I mean, does it need to be one a month? I mean, how often? There's no clear line about where you draw. You don't know if you've done enough. It, that's a miserable way to live. All right, number four. How do the Jehovah's Witnesses take away from the fact that Jesus was God? A, they believe Jesus was a created being. 
He was created as Michael the archangel. All right, he was created as Michael the archangel. Here's what they say. This is from the Watchtower, May 15, 1969, and repeated in December 15, 1984. There is scriptural evidence for concluding that Michael was the name of Jesus Christ before he left heaven and after his return. Indeed, Michael, the great prince, is none other than Jesus Christ himself. So you have Michael the archangel. They say, you know what? God created Michael the archangel, and that was actually Jesus. So what are they saying about Jesus? He was, he's a created being. They're saying Jesus is created, which is why, if you go back to Colossians, why they translate that the way that they do. He is the firstborn, I don't even remember what it says, hold on. I want to be sure I get it right. All other things have been created through him and for him. He is before all other things. Why do they add the word other in? Amber? Right. What they are doing is they don't want anyone believing that he existed before all creation. So by saying that he is created, that he existed before all other things, what they are saying is, yeah, he was created. He was created before other things, but he was created. You go to Colossians, or excuse me, um, Genesis 1 1, Colossians 1, that passage we just read. What, what does the Bible teach? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was. God. God, Jesus existed from eternity past. He has always existed. Is Jesus Christ a created being? If he is a created being, what does that mean? He's not God. Is it important that Jesus be God? Why? For salvation. If he's not God, then all his claims in the Bible are false and all it's meaningless, all right? So, Again, I want you to see how they've changed the translation to fit their beliefs, all right? B. This is going to be confusing, but let me explain it. They would say that Jesus is one of many gods, all right? Now, they reject polytheism, but they have a kind of a tiered system. There is one God the Father. Who is that? Jehovah, all right? Jehovah. Now, is there anything wrong with using the word Jehovah? No, none at all. All right? Nothing wrong with using the word Jehovah at all. Somebody want to use the word Jehovah instead of God? Nothing wrong with that. But they say that God has elevated certain other people into almost little gods is what they would say. Little gods. Jesus is one of those created beings, Michael the archangel, who has authority and he has power. And so in one sense, they would say, no, we believe in one God. But if you really dive down into their belief system, they have all of these little gods established that they worship and that they pray to and... Um, but they, in doing so, though, they take away from the fact that Jesus is God. Here's what they say. Somebody asked the question, and I, Rebecca, I think it was you. How, if, if, if they believe in there's, that there's only one God, how, how do they view Jesus? Here's what they say. He is rightly, talking about Jesus, he is rightly called a God. And notice that they, they say that in the small g. Notice that. He is rightly called a God, but he is still but still, he is not God, God Almighty. So here's what they'd say. Do you believe that there is one God? You know what they're going to say? Yes, we believe in God the Father Almighty, whom we call Jehovah. But they're also going to say in the same breath, well, it's right to call Jesus God. Now, he's not God the Father. So it's almost like a self-contradiction, isn't it? They're almost contradicting themselves. Let me give you this next one. 
See, Jesus did live a sinless life, but he died as a mere human and did not bodily rise from the dead. He rose as a spirit being. Why is it important that we believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? All right, if he didn't, 1 Corinthians 15, if he didn't rise bodily, then we won't rise bodily. Any other thoughts? Okay, that's key. He conquered death. It's kind of the same thing going to what you're saying. How do we know that one day we're going to conquer death? Because Jesus conquered death. Another reason why it's important. The Bible says he rose bodily. How many people saw him after the resurrection? Hundreds, over 500 different people saw him. All right? It's crucial that we believe that he rose bodily. Hey, Jesus can do miracles. Miracle. Honestly, I don't know how they would answer that. Um, that. That would be a good question to ask them. All right, D. They deny the in- incarnation. All right, here's what they say. What, what is the incarnation, by the way, Jason? The birth. The, Jesus becoming humanity. All right, the incarnation. Michael gave up his existence as a spirit creature when his life force was transferred into Mary's womb. All right, that's what they say. Isn't it starting to get a little weird? Starting to sound like Star Wars. (laughs) All right. Yeah, it does. Um, That life force is what they, they, they substitute that for spirit often. All right, let me give you a few other Jehovah's Witness belief in the next uh, five, ten minutes. Or, yeah. A, they deny the Trinity. They say it's polytheism. What does polytheism mean? Many gods. Poly, many, theism or theistic, God. Many gods. B, they teach that the Holy Spirit is not God, but an active force from God. All right, we saw that in Genesis 1.1. C, They say there is no hell, and only 144,000 go to heaven. The rest of the Jehovah's Witnesses will live on the new earth. Hope you're one of them. So I even this afternoon um, printed off something. They believe in what is called annihilationism. Annihilation. Here's what, the, here's what this article, this is from the jehovahswitness.org, jw.org, all right? Um, some, here's what they say. I'm going to read the whole thing. Some Bible translations use the word hell. Uh, many people believe in a fiery hell as shown in the religious artwork and shown in religious artwork. Here's what they say. However, the Bible teaches otherwise. So let me reiterate what we believe. We believe, maybe I should say, I believe our church teaches that hell is a literal place, all right? It's not just figurative. It's not just symbolic. Hell is a literal place. Here's what they say. They say the Bible teaches otherwise. Those, here's what, they, they give five points to kind of support their position. Those in hell are unconscious and so cannot feel pain. Number two, good people go to hell. They're, they're saying this doesn't make sense. Death not torment in a fiery hell is the penalty for sin. So what, 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 in that one point, what are they saying? For the penalty of, for the wages or the penalty of sin is death. All right? How do we interpret that? Spiritual death. How are they interpreting that? 
They're saying, you know what, the, the, the penalty for your sin is physical death. Um, they say this, eternal torment would violate God's justice. And then they say God does not even contemplate eternal torment. That, the idea that he would punish people in hell is contrary to the Bible's teaching that God is love. So here's what they say. God is not going to send anyone to hell because God is love, and a loving God would never send someone to an eternal hell. He's love, so he's not going to send people to hell. How would you answer that? Okay, that's a good first answer. God doesn't send anyone to hell. People reject him. All right, what else would you say? Okay, he allows it through people's choices. Sandy? Well, and here's what they would say, and I think that's a valid point, but what they would say is, look, think about everything you're going to be missing out on, the new, the new earth and the new heaven, the new earth that God's going to create. You're going to miss out on that. So they, they ignore the negative, but they focus on the positive. The other thing I think we would say is the Bible is filled. The Bible, and I have a whole lesson on this that maybe we'll go through, and it's not necessarily a fun lesson because it's, a 45, it's 45 minutes of thinking about the reality of hell. And when you go through Scripture, Scripture is filled. That, you know, Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about just about anything else. He talked about the reality of a fiery pit, the, the, the fact that people are going to be cast into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is not just some symbolic idea. This is pointed to a literal place. There's a great book, if you want to study the topic of hell, all right, there's a great book called Erasing Hell by Francis Chan. Um, a number of years ago, Rob Bell wrote a book um, called Love Wins, which is heretical. All right, it's completely bad. In response, and in that book, he basically said, Love's going to win out in the end. God's not going to send anybody to hell. Francis Chan wrote this book, Erasing Hell, which he lays out the biblical argument for the reality of hell. Jehovah's Witness say, you know what? If you reject Jehovah, when you die, your soul ceases to exist. You cease to exist. Your existence is over. You are not sent to hell. You are annihilated. You, you are gone. If you're part of the 144,000, and who they consider part of the 144,000 is another study completely. But if you're part of one of the 144,000, you go to heaven. If you believe in Jehovah, but you're not one part of the 144,000, you get to live and exist in the new earth that is going to be created. All right, so what's the penalty for rejecting Jehovah? Well, there really, on one hand, there is none. On the other hand, they would say, well, you miss out on all these good things that God has prepared. But they, this idea, they, 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 they say that God's not going to send anybody to hell. Um, I just think, and again, I'm not a, I, I, when it comes to study of Scripture, I, I'm a literalist, which means I think that the right approach to God's Word is that we interpret it literally unless there is compelling evidence in the text not to interpret it literally. And I just think when you study the topic of hell in Scripture, you, you walk away with the belief that hell's a literal place, and God doesn't want anyone to go there, but those who reject Him are choosing to turn their back on God and are choosing the, their, the, that fate for themselves. All right? Um, let me give you a couple other things, and I want to reiterate one other thing that we talked about. They are, I already mentioned these, they are for, forbidden to vote, salute a flag, serve in the military, or celebrate holidays or birthdays. In fact, 
Um, I don't know if this has changed, but at one point they weren't allowed to put Christmas trees up in their house. Why would they have these beliefs? Soul allegiance to Jehovah. If I pledge allegiance to my country, then I'm turning my back maybe on Jehovah. I'm, I'm, I'm splitting my allegiances. And they say, we don't want to do that. We, we, we want to avoid any kind of idolatry, and so we're not going to celebrate birthdays. And um, So they have a lot of unique beliefs like that. Now, I want you to look back up in your notes to um, number two. How do Jehovah's Witnesses add or take away from the Bible? They, they recognize those four writings as authoritative. Um, this is a side note. I had somebody call me or email me this week asking, how do we know that we can trust the Bible? So if somebody came up to you and said, how do we know that we can trust the Bible? What would you say to them? Because I mean, that's kind of important, right? Where does your belief about God come from? Where does your belief about salvation come from? Where does your belief about Jesus come from? We need to know that we can trust it. How do you know you can trust the Bible? How do you know? There is, how do you know? I mean, I'm, I'm not, I, I agree with you. All right. Okay. And I'm going to mention that in a second. Howard? Personal experience. Um, the person who emailed me this question, I sent him three pages of proofs. I figure he'll work his way through it. Um, Amber made a point. That's the point I want to make. I want to kind of flesh that out. She said, well, let me, let me present it in a different way. How many of you have ever heard of Homer's Iliad? A few of you is a historic work. For that, there are 643 manuscripts. Any of you ever heard of Plato? For Plato's works, there are seven manuscripts. Heard of Aristotle? For his works, there are 40 manuscripts. And I could go on and on. For the New Testament... There are 5,800 Greek manuscripts, over 10,000 Latin manuscripts, over 9,800 Syriac and Coptic manuscripts, and over 36,000 partial manuscripts. So, again, I could go, maybe, maybe we should go through that whole three pages sometime. But one of the things I find interesting is you have all of these other historical works that are trusted and are relied upon. When you come to Scripture, it is no comparison the history behind it. In fact, you could reassemble all of the New Testament with just quotes from the early church fathers. You could just go through, not even read Scripture, read the early church fathers, and you could reassemble all of the New Testament just by reading their quotations. Um, how many authors were used in writing Scripture? Over 40? You might know how many years the Bible's writing spanned. Over 1,600 years, on three different continents in different languages. I mean, there is compelling reason for us to stand and say, you know what, I can be confident that we can trust the Bible. And we may take some time and talk about some other things that kind of, I think, bolster our support in Scripture. So everything you said is correct. It is infallible, it is inerrant, it's God's inspired Word. Um, but there's also a lot of, I mean, th even think about the lives of the apostles, the apostles died torturous lives. I mean, Thomas filleted alive. I mean, think about that. John cast into a cauldron of boiling oil. Matthew had a spear thrown through him. I mean, we could go on and on with how these apostles died. Why would they die for something they knew was false? 
Yeah. I mean, if, 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 you, if you're looking at something and you don't believe it with all your heart, are you going to allow your... I mean, if you're or being threatened with being filleted alive and all you have to do is say, I don't believe this is true. If you're not completely convinced that it's 100% true, are you going to allow yourself to be filleted alive? No. So either they're all crazy or there's validity to what they believed. We'll talk about that more. But again, with Jehovah's Witness... The main thing that you need to understand is there's a contradiction, not, not, not a contradiction, the main thing I want you to understand is how they approach their Bible. They took their beliefs and allowed their beliefs to dictate their translation. Here's what I want you all to avoid. Avoid coming to a conclusion on a matter, determining your position, and then taking your position to Scripture and saying, let me see how I can make the Bible support this. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. It's the reason why we preach the way, and Jason and I talk about this, why we preach the way we preach. I don't determine what I believe about a topic and then go searching in the Scripture for verses that back it up. I take my topic to Scripture and say, okay, what does the Bible have to say about this? That's how we should approach every issue. This coming Sunday, we're going to be focusing on the sanctity of human life. Abortion is one of those issues, and sanctity of human life is not just about abortion, but that's what's often focused on. We're going to be talking about this. And so with that, we don't determine what we believe and then go to Scripture and say, okay, how can I support this? We take the topic of abortion and the sanctity of human life, and we go and say, okay, what does God's Word have to say? We let that dictate our beliefs. And that, hopefully we'll be doing that on Sunday. All right. Thank you all for your time, your attention. Let me, let me close this in a word of prayer, and we'll be done. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for our time this evening. And God, we are reminded of how important it is to approach your word correctly. God, there is such danger in determining what we want to believe and then trying to fit that into Scripture and fit Scripture into our beliefs. God, no matter what we are facing, no matter what issue comes up, no matter what topic may be presented, I pray that you would help us all to have the perspective that says, I want to align with truth. And that that desire of aligning with truth would simply cause us to run to Scripture, open it up, and whatever it says, whatever it teaches, that that would become our position. That whatever issue we are studying, that whatever Scripture says, whatever Scripture teaches, whatever Scripture presents, that would be the foundation of our belief. God, what we've been reminded of this evening when looking at Jehovah's Witnesses is that when we get that out of order... It causes us to twist Scripture, abuse Scripture, and ultimately ignore truth. And God, it is your truth that sets us free. And so I pray that we would pursue that. Thank you for our time together this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.